Well, good morning. Well, this is the uh, fourth final week in this series, um, Discovering Joy in a Culture of Shame. And so I want us to look this morning at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we just ask that you guide and lead our time together, and that all that is said be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this series, we have looked at, you know, the series is Discovering Joy, Culture of Shame, and kind of began with thinking about what it is and what shame is, kind of our identity, and realizing, you know, shame in our vulnerability and what we, what we cover up. And we saw that in, in Genesis chapter 1. And how we define shame, um, taking from Brene Brown, is, you know, we make mistakes. We can make a mistake and need to be forgiven, learn from the consequences of a mistake, and make a mistake. But shame is this idea that we are the mistake. And so that first week we looked, and, and they were vulnerable before the fall. But but their vulnerability in God's presence with spiritual clothing from God was just beautiful and wonderful. It is after the experience of evil. That's what God was wanting to protect from them. That, that brings shame into the world of wanting to cover up, of realizing their brokenness and, and difficulty. And as we think about that, it's the idea of God wanting to restore that beauty and that freedom and who we are and our identity and our, our value before God. I was thinking about that um, this week, and you know, my uh, my son and I like to watch the the uh, um, Mission Impossible movies, or or even the the Bourne movies. If you've watched any of those, and you know, spy or this conspiracy trying to cover up. And usually in those movies, especially the Mission Impossible, they often wear masks to pretend to be someone else to go in and infiltrate something. But there's usually somebody that has an ID or has a mask or somebody pretending to be someone else to go try to figure something out or break into somewhere or, or get these documents to, to deal with this conspiracy theory or this thing, you know, whatever. But in those moments when they're pretending to be somebody else or ID, you know, they, they can't relax. They, they're, always, they're always kind of got to look over their shoulder and wonder if they're going to be found out. Now, I heard, and, and it was Josh Patterson, a pastor from Texas and at Village Church, that I heard mention this, uh, this actually this week, and preaching about something else, but it, it fit the idea of, you know, having a, a fake ID, um, which, you know, a fake ID when you're in high school or something, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe you did, you know, a fake ID so you could vote. Um, but, you know, usually we have a fake ID, it's to get in somewhere, it's to fit in with friends, it's one to have community. But in those moments when you're in a place under a different identity, you, you always wonder, you're going to be found out. You can't relax. You can't truly be free. And so many times that's, we, will, we will have this, 
this other identity, this other thing, these things we want to cover up in a desire to fit in and thinking that's going to connect us. But it really separates us. So part of the beauty of what God restores through Christ is wants to let us know that those, those places of, of vulnerability, of, of our stories, or our difficulties, or our failures, or the, the baggage that we have, you know, God's mercy is new every morning. And those, when they're in God's presence and, and healed and made whole, become part of a beautiful test. They make us beautiful. That's part of the idea. But there again, as we look the next week, it's not that God leaves us there. You know, the journey, and we looked at faith is often talked about in Scripture as a journey, and we looked at Abraham and his journey. And that God picks kind of the biggest failure in the ancient world. I mean, he should, in an honor-shame culture, he should experience a lot of shame. And that's who God chooses and says, I'm going to make your name great. You have nothing worth bragging about, but I'm going to make your name great. And the thing is, he messes up along the way. He doesn't get it right. He has enough faith to step out, but he gets it wrong. But God continues to work in him and continues to develop him. That idea that God wants to restore and bring us on this journey, and it's a journey of life, that our faith grows. And then part of how that journey happens, and, and we grow in it, we looked at last week, as we looked at Romans 12. You know, don't be conformed. You know, to first it starts with offer yourself as a, a spiritual sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And there's an enemy and there's a world that wants to change you from the outside in. But God wants to transform you from the inside out. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's how we, we, we're doing one or the other all the time. And sometimes we get off track and I'm a little more conformed. And we need to be a little more transformed. And God wants to bring that out in us. And we get the gift of repentance and God's mercy and forgiveness, as we've said, is, is new every morning. You cannot out-sin God's grace, but God wants to transform us. The target is to be in the center of God's will. And that's, that's the goal. And so this week, as we look at that and in, in the final perspective, it's the idea of connection, of being connected to, to one another that you, you can't do it by yourself. So here, uh, Peter has already talked about in some significant ways, you know, being brought out of the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light and pursuing holiness as God is holy. The holiness and righteousness of God is that idea of being transformed from the inside out. And here he, he talks about in what we read this morning, that above all, and he's just given a list of ways that, you know, a little bit earlier that you're, you know, if you're pursuing holiness and righteousness where you're not going to fit into the world. And he says, above all, you need to love one another earnestly. Now, now we'll read that and think, well, I just, you know, yeah, that means as, as a good Christian folk and you know, we go to church and we need to be nice and cordial to each other, you know, be, be not kind to the individual, to each individual is, and that is true, but that's not really what Peter is talking about here. I mean, here he's, he's talking about the community. You know, most every time in the New Testament, we, we think in terms of the individual when it says you, or we think of me individually, but, you know, it was all written to be read out loud to gathered group of Christians, 
It wasn't meant and written to take home and read individually. And just It is talking about a community. To be saying that to love one another earnestly. Meaning this, the, the love in this community, the love of God that is what has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light or made you a precious stone that being built together for a righteous and, and wonderful structure. I mean, that's the language Peter uses. That love of God in your presence. You, you need to have that for the community, for one another, earnestly. Now, sometimes we'll just read earnestly and think, well, that just be nice to each other and, and try really hard at it. But there's more going on than that. That word for earnestly in the Greek, you know, one, one way I heard it uh, kind of translated and said is kind of a, a horse in a race and running to the, the end of a race and, and, and how they have to strive for the finish line. Well, you know, we, my wife and I, you know, it was a, a little while, a year that we lived in Kentucky. And no, we did, not, we did not go to, you know, the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs. And we did visit Churchill Downs one time, but we did go to a, a horse race in Keeneland which is another uh, wonderful, uh, you know, horse race, beautiful thing. And, and anyway, uh, we went, somebody else took us, and we got to go and see the horse race. And it was really neat. And that idea of when it comes to the end of the, the race and getting to the finish line of the horse, just their muscles rippling and trying to get across the, the finish line. And about that same time, we'd go to the Kentucky Horse Park, and I kind of got into, you know, Seabiscuit and, and that movie and um, – the idea that you know you, when you see that movie and the horse kind of when it gets close to the finish line just running for everything they've got everything they have that is what that word means oh, the idea of an athlete running a race and has given everything they've got and they've just got to give a little bit more to get across the finish line peter has already talked about you know the eternal focus and christ we're coming back and that we're in end times but that we so we're going to have to strive forward and work. It, it, it's not something we just think of lightly. It's something you're going to have to fight for and work for and be adamant about protecting. And it's not just being nice to the individual. It is, it is the love and the transforming grace of God in a community. And living in that and being willing to, to work hard for that. Being willing to, just like that runner in that race, to, to fight at the very end to get across the finish line, put everything it got to protect the community, to protect that caring, loving community. And, and it's because he then says, because love covers a multitude of sins. And we've actually seen that. That's been quoted uh, before in the New Testament. It comes from Proverbs. And it's not this idea you know, we can read that and say, well, you know, I need to be nice to somebody, and I was nice to this person, so hey, now I'll get a free ticket to go do this sin and covered it up. That was, no, that's not what that means. When you read what Peter is writing, no, fight for this community of God's grace. Work hard for it, protect it, and be adamant about it because it is part of something bigger than yourself. That covering a multitude of sins means this is how we participate in, in fighting back the darkness in being part of the kingdom of light, God's kingdom in the world and that becomes the dominant thing about who we are and a community that will fight for that 
that will live in that, that, that wants to push back the darkness and rescue, be part of helping rescue what God is doing, rescuing people. That's the language he uses early. Out of darkness into light. And their sins being forgiven and experienced. That is how it covers a multitude of sins. But it's serious stuff and work for it. Show hospitality to one another. That's being opening up your life and who you are to one another. That idea of having a place you can let down the guard. The freedom that comes in Christ. Of, and then opening up your life to, to other people. Now it certainly is addressed first and foremost to the Christian community of, of welcoming one another. I mean there was places Christian missionaries in the early church had to go stay in the house of someone. Open up your home so people could reach a community. Jesus even talks about that. As you go, find a person of peace that will welcome you in their home so that you can then share the gospel and the truth with community. That you open up your, your home to one another. But hospitality is often talked about and addressed to, to strangers. It was important in the ancient world. It, it was a key thing in the ancient world. Sometimes things were dangerous and there weren't inns and there weren't you know hotels and sometimes things were unsafe and, and you had to rely on the hospitality of other people as you traveled or went somewhere this show hospitality but there's also the context of what peter has already said that if you're pursuing the holiness and righteousness of god he's already established you're going to be ridiculed for it you're not going to fit in so this idea of a community where you 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 do focus on that. God's holiness and righteousness, being willing to fight for it. And, and then showing hospitality, even showing hospitality to those who ridicule, to those who are a stranger. But I want us to think about the significance of some of what, what Peter is saying here. This isn't something simple we do. You know, church isn't a place we go and experience an event. Church is who we are and who we are as a community and a community that becomes redefined by God's grace that accepts us where we are but never leaves us there, wants to transform us into something even more beautiful, bring out the image and the presence of God in us. And, and we need to fight for that. We need to earnestly be a part of that. You can't do that on your own. Loving one another. I, I've mentioned before, one of, one of my favorite um, models, I guess, for discipleship or growth is the life transformation group. That's what it's called. It's very simple. And it's kind of born out of the Wesleyan idea of accountability that's found in Scripture of holding each other accountable. And um, My accountability partner and I will meet once a week and, you know, talk about what scripture we're going to read. And we decide on that. So we read a certain amount of scripture, read the same thing. And then there's a list of questions. You know, how, how are you being a witness of God's grace? How are, is there temptations you're facing? Is there sin you need to confess? Is there a, uh, how you're loving, lo you're 
important relationships in your life? And there's just a list of all kinds of questions on kind of accountability. And then it ends with, did you finish the reading? What did God say? And what are you going to do about it? I mean, that's, that's kind of it. But it's this idea of being an intentional. You know, we will intentionally carve out time for all kinds of things. To watch something on Netflix. But if you really want to discover the joy in a culture that bombards us with that idea of the lie, that we are shame-filled and need to cover up, and the wants to always separate us and divide us, and as we looked at last week, convince us everything's about you. In every lie, there's a little truth, that value, that who we are. The enemy then lies and says, so not, it's all about you. And if people knew the truth of who you are, it'd mess up, so you need to cover up, put on a show. Or you're the center of the world. You're the center of the ten. It's not. You're part of God's story, God's bigger plan. And hold each other accountable to how, how this week are you a little bit more transformed than you were last week. Where did you stumble? Where did you kind of conform? And what do you need to do about that? Are we going to fight for that? That is how we, that is how we are part of what God is doing to transform the world. And then the final thing here, the final thought, why we should earnestly strive for that, and you can't do it by yourself, is because we are good stewards. It says you, and he's talking to the community, as a whole, it's not just the individual, the community, are good stewards of the very grace of God. Now, there again, we've got to think about what's being said there. A steward in the ancient world, that is someone that you left in charge of your most valuable stuff. I mean, could, could run your home when you're not there, could be good for your finances. I mean, it's the person you would let be, you know, executor of your estate or the person that would have, you, you know, control of all your, your wealth and who you were and your home and your household if you weren't incapacitated or couldn't do it. And you think about it in terms of, you know, it, it's the person. If you're going away for a week, who would you leave your kids with? You know, who is a steward? A steward was someone that you left with the authority and to manage what you valued. And here Peter is saying, you are stewards of the very grace of God, varying. And I love that word in, in the Greek for varied. It really means multicolored. The multicolored grace of God. And whenever I think about that word, multicolored, and thinking that concept, I think about... I. I an associate's degree and was early on in computer science. And I remember back when computers were monochrome, when they had no color. And when you got the first, uh, you know, kind of software that you could draw, if anybody remembers that, you could first draw, and it was like amazing, and you could draw in eight different colors. You got eight colors to choose from. And you're thinking, wow, look at these eight colors, and you can draw, and the computer has eight colors. I remember when it went from eight to 256 colors. 256 colors. How? You would just never need any more colors than that. That's what you thought. Well, in computers now, we are up to millions and millions of colors. 
Now it's overwhelming, you know, when that little circle comes up and you've got to pick all the different colors that are possible. It's amazing. But that's what that word means. The multicolored grace of God. And, and if you look at how that word is used other places in the New Testament, it's, it talks about the multicolored trials that we go through. Or the multicolored needs that we have. The multicolored difficulties in our lives. To where if you think about what Peter is saying, you need to fight for this community. You need to fight and, and take it seriously. And if there's something that will threaten it, you need talk about it. Be wanting to stamp it out. You, you, this is how you change the world, what you're a part of, and the, central to discovering the joy in the midst of a culture that wants to just damage and destroy, an enemy that wants to lie and separate and divide and bring destruction. This is important, and the reason you want to so fight for it is because you are stewards of the multicolored, multifaceted grace of God. And what that means, he's talking spiritual gifts. He goes on to say if you serve and if you, if you teach or if you preach, whatever your gift is, but we often think of spiritual gifts as it's my gift. You know, I've got the gift of this. I've got the gift of service, or I've got the gift of prophecy, or this gift. No, that's not... It's not really what biblically it is. I mean, the gift is given, but you're just kind of the package that it comes in. The gift is really given for other people. That's what it says here, for others. The part of why we need to, to, to fight for the community and take it seriously, and it's, it's more important than an event on Sunday morning. It is who we are. It is because we're going to need a community. Because see, what it is, somebody is going through a multicolored trial or a multicolored struggle or has a multicolored need that God has placed in you the multicolored grace as a gift that meets that need. That we're all different. And there are ways that you can minister or care or connect with other person or, that I couldn't. That it takes a whole community. You see that all over scripture. And so a key thing in, in discovering the joy, that, that eternal joy that goes deeper than your situations or what you're going through, that just being happy, it is that joy that is eternal. The, that is the joy of the Lord that becomes our strength. Discovering that in a culture that wants to separate us and divide us and damage us and make us want to hide and cover up and pretend. We need to fight for that. And a key way that we discover that joy is through one another and loving one another and realizing we are stewards of the multicolored grace of God that will meet a multicolored need in someone else. We can't do it alone. So I pray that you will find a community, a small group, a house church, whatever, where you can be part of something. You can hold one another accountable. You can reach out and love one another in a way that is fighting back and pushing back the darkness and bringing the light into the world. That's what Peter's talking about here. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you.
for how you love us. And as I said last week, and you just you know when you're talk, talking about being part of this kingdom work and loving like this in a community and being part of the called out of darkness into light and being living stones build us something great. My first thought is I don't feel qualified. And thank you. Because the truth is none of us are qualified. May we surrender to you and realize we we're not qualified. We can't do anything without you, but all things are possible through you. And may you pour out your spirit in us and give us the grace that is multicolored, that comes out of our story and who we are and, and what we're good at and maybe sometimes what we're not good at, but you discover that we can step out and trust you and a gift we didn't realize we had. But all of that is given to meet the multicolored needs and struggles of others. Help us find ways to serve and to care and to be part of the community in a profound way because it makes a difference. It is how we discover the joy that becomes our strength, the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.